Hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to Genesis. Book of Genesis. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. As we read together, the very first words of God's holy word, and as we read them in light of Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, we believe that everything was created at God's command. Let's read together. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. It was Christmas Eve of 1968, and the Apollo 8 spacecraft was orbiting the moon. Astronaut Frank Borman decided while riding on Apollo 8 to do something that is hard to imagine happening today. He did something that would seem odd to most people in 2022. He chose to read a message back to planet Earth. And that message was Genesis 1 one. As they're orbiting the moon, he reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the reason that strikes us today as odd is that it's because for so many, there's this deep and abiding conflict between the kind of science that sends astronauts into space to orbit the moon and the plain reading of the Bible. These things are not congruous. These things don't go together. And the reason we believe there's this conflict is because on the one hand, we have some who think that science just proved the Bible a long time ago. Starting with Genesis 1.1, this is just simply not true. We can't base modern life on the basis of a, a text that comes 
way before even the Copernican revolution. I mean, they don't know what they're talking about. We need to trust in science. On the other hand, we have some who say, no, 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 no. This is a science textbook. And we don't need any of that other science. We can just take Genesis. And that's enough. What's the truth? The truth is that we need to understand the nature of the Bible. And we need to understand the nature of true science. The Bible is not a science textbook. It lacks the kind of precision that we would expect and demand in a science textbook. It's far from exhaustive in telling us everything we would want to know about how it happened. But just because it's not precise and just because it's not exhaustive does not mean it is not true. That does not mean that it isn't describing true historical events that happened in real time and space. It's not a science textbook. It's more like the syllabus for the whole course of life. Without the syllabus, without an overarching curriculum, your biology textbooks, your astronomy textbooks, your physics textbooks, they're all disjointed. They don't harmonize. They don't make sense of the overall picture of life in this vast and bewildering universe. But when you see them inside of the syllabus, when you see them on the list of required reading, and you know that this universe is created by a good, holy, and wise God, then you can see that when you're doing biology, when you're studying astronomy, you're studying cosmology, You are understanding the world that God has created. You are, in effect, thinking his thoughts after him. You're examining what he has already done. So that not only is is science a friend to the Bible, the Bible makes science possible. What does science mean? To know. To know. And because of Genesis and the truth expressed therein, we're told that this is a knowable world created by a knowable God, not by a random impersonal force, but by a personal, all-powerful God who has made it possible for his creatures to know Him, the Creator, through creation. The Bible is the syllabus. And this is where there's room for true science to flourish and to thrive. 
But what often happens among those who think there's no way you can believe the Bible and be a scientist, what happens is they they interpret this lack of precision. They see this concrete, earthy language. And they think, there's no way that this could be true. There's no way. There must be some natural explanation. And what happens is that science can creep into what I'm going to call scientism, which is not just an analytical discipline, it's a philosophical worldview that says there is a naturalistic, materialistic explanation for everything that is. Even if we don't know what that is yet, we'll find it eventually, given enough human resourcefulness and ingenuity. Here's what we need to understand. Everyone, everyone has to make assumptions. We simply do not have all the evidence that our skeptical minds demand. At some point, we have to draw a conclusion based on the evidence that we have. What seems most reasonable? It's not fair to say that if you believe the Bible, you're just taking a leap into the dark, but if you follow science, then you're following human reason. No, everyone has to make assumptions At some point, you could spend the rest of your life trying to look for the evidence and it just won't come in. At some point, you have to take a leap. You will either take a leap onto the truthfulness of God's word and take God at his word and trust in his goodness and his truthfulness, or you'll say eventually we'll find the answer by human means, by some naturalistic materialistic means. And we're still waiting. But this rupture between science and the Bible, this supposed rupture, is not actually a new problem. In fact, it's as old as the human race. And it's Fundamentally, a spiritual problem. It's not a modern problem. It's because of what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. Where he writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. And therefore God gave them over 
in the sinful desires of their hearts. God's infinite wisdom, power, and goodness is on full display. Just take a look. Take a good look. It's there. It's confirmed out there. It's also confirmed within by our God-given conscience. But because we all do as our ancestors have done, which is to say that can't be it, I'm not going to worship God as creator. I'm going to worship the creation. I'm going to invest my time, my energy, my love, and everything but the creator. We're all blinded as a result. We don't give thanks to God as we should. We don't worship him as we should. We do not fulfill what we were created to do, which is to glorify and to enjoy God forever. That's what you were created to do. Do you realize that? Why are we here? To glorify and to enjoy God forever. But we glorify ourselves. We glorify what we come up with. And we enjoy anything and everything but God. So this this problem with reading Genesis 1 is at its root a spiritual heart problem with you and me. And it's because we only see creation with our natural eyes. With our natural eyes. And natural eyes can, yes, see the glory of creation. They can see the glory of creation. They can stand in awe when they look out at the sea and the rolling waves. They can be in awe of the, the mountains. And we're so blessed in North Carolina that we have both. We can see the glory of God declared east and west. It's all around us. But, but, it is only the grace-opened eyes of faith that can see the glory of the Creator shining throughout all creation. We need to have our eyes opened by His grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we see by faith. It does not come naturally to us to claim, as we read in Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created at God's command. That doesn't come naturally. When we will look around, we're looking for some natural explanation. But by his grace, our eyes can be open and we can see so much more. So take a good look today. Take a good look at Genesis 1. Take a good look at God's world. Take a good look at the condition of your heart and your life. And see if by his grace, you can catch a glimmer of his infinite glory. But if we only look with natural eyes, we will look in vain for the beginning. Natural eyes look in vain for the beginning. Right now, at this very moment, 
our nation has sent up a $10 billion telescope, the James Webb Telescope, that will tell us so much about the universe, and, and I'm anxious to hear more about that. But one of the express purposes is to try to see far enough into distant galaxies to understand the Big Bang. How did it all start? We want to understand our origins. And this is natural. This is, this is what natural humanity wants to do. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Is there any significance or meaning to any of this? And you can see humanity playing this out throughout time. We've just gotten even more technological in this pursuit, and more sophisticated in this pursuit. But it's the same fundamental pursuit. How did we get here? And no matter how many billions or trillions or zillions of dollars we spend on this, we cannot improve upon what Frank Borman, the astronaut, read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Around 25 years after he read out that message from Apollo 8, he had this to say. He said, I had an enormous feeling that there had to be a power greater than any of us, that there was a God, that there was indeed a beginning, and that maybe even our choosing to read from Genesis wasn't a haphazard thing. Maybe it had been ordained in some way. In the beginning, God is the claim of Genesis 1-1. Before there was anything, before there was time itself, the God who exists in eternity, who does not need anyone or anything, who exists infinitely as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and who has always been and always will be, chose to bring the visible and the invisible world into being, chose to set the clock to start ticking. And it's been ticking ever since. And it will be until he brings it to its close. He enters in. He takes what is formless and empty, what is chaotic, what seems random, and he brings order. And he brings life. And he positions our planet perfectly to sustain the variety and the abundance of life that we see. Just close enough to the sun, but not too far from the sun. Do you think that this vast, cold, dark universe just randomly made that happen? Because if you believe this is a closed universe and there is no God outside of time and space, then what you're left with is that, well, if you give enough time plus enough chance, you should have enough change, I guess, eventually to get what we have. And we just need to keep adding more time to account for what we see around us, right? 
That's the thinking. And, and it's vain. It's futile. It's foolishness. You cannot get beyond, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Take a good look. Look at the pictures that you can see from the Hubble telescope. Look at the pictures you're going to see from the James Webb telescope. We're told that, based on the Hubble telescope, there are at least 100 billion galaxies. And we estimate that there may be as many as 200 billion galaxies yet to be seen. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. And here we are on planet Earth. Consider how small we are. How seemingly inconsequential we are in view of 200 billion galaxies. And yet, the God who spoke all things into existence has chosen to speak to you today through His Word. He knows your name. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the things about you that you don't want anyone else to know. He knows the secret thoughts and intentions of your heart. And knowing all that from eternity, He chose to send His one and only Son to not only show us what it looks like to truly worship God and glorify God, to bring Him honor, He sent Him to die. To shed His blood. To pay the penalty that we deserve for all of our failures. To worship God as He should be worshipped. In the beginning, God created. But if we continue to only look with natural eyes, we will remain self-satisfied in what we've already seen. This is one of the key characteristics of natural eyes, by the way. They remain self-satisfied and prideful about what they've already seen. And this can take both a secular form and a religious form. I'll start with the secular. The thinking goes something like this. We've seen enough now of the universe. We've seen enough now of the fossil record to completely exclude God. There must be a natural materialistic explanation for all things. And so what you need to do is just leave it to the people in the white coats. Leave it to the people who have the doctorates, leave it to the experts to tell you how it all happened. Just trust them, okay? Just trust them. You don't need to take a good look. Just take their word for it. They know, okay? They've studied this. And, and it stifles human curiosity. And leads us to trust in human pride and the very best that human beings can come up with. Instead of seeing this as God's world and seeing this as an open invitation for all of us to see that this God 
who spoke the world into existence. This God who is light of light, who enlightens our darkness. This God who gives order and meaning and significance has extended this to all people. To see His glory in creation. Well, many of us get that point. But there's also a religious version of this. And here's where I'm going to get in some trouble. But I fear the judgment of Christ more than I fear anyone else's judgment. But here's what this looks like. It looks like thinking... That because people claim to not believe in God, that therefore we can't believe anything they say. And that we need to be judgmental and critical of whatever science tells us. And we don't need them. We just stick with Genesis 1 and we can live insular lives unadulterated by the world. And the reality is that these last two years of pandemic have not only exposed these fault lines within the church, they have shown a light on some deep and abiding weaknesses within the church. I have not only been disappointed, I have been appalled at how people who supposedly love Jesus, who supposedly love his word and take his word seriously, have flaunted public health guidelines. How they have mocked and ridiculed public health officials and accused them of being godless, have questioned their motives, And I fear it all stems back to the sense that we don't need that. We don't need to hear what they have to say. Never mind that science is common grace. You don't have to be a Christian to pursue it. While yes, the Bible makes it possible for science to thrive, it's common grace. You can learn it by your own reason, your own senses. It's disappointing and it's appalling. Now, am I here to defend every public health measure or to say there haven't been excesses? Of course not. Of course not. But in the main, in the main, I think we are wise to listen to what the experts have to say about this. Of course, be discerning, test the spirits. Don't be naive. This world lies under the power of the evil one. This is true. But at the same time, we cannot afford to be paranoid. And there is a dangerous paranoia within the church, and particularly within evangelicalism. Paranoia. And whether it takes a secular form 
of saying just trust the experts, do whatever they say, or a religious form that says, no, we don't need any experts. We just, we've got Genesis. It's a science textbook. That's all you need. In whatever form it takes, it is pride. And friend, pride is of the devil. Pride sends people to hell. Pride is no game. How dare we, whoever we are, whatever we believe, get on a high horse and speak disdainfully and even react viciously and violently against other people, whoever they are. There is a God to whom we are all accountable. He is your creator and my creator. And as you read later in Genesis 1, every single human being is created in his image and is therefore worthy of respect and dignity. From conception to natural death, And we are not honoring God as creator when we spit upon his creation, when we mock and flaunt his laws and his word. And here's the fundamental problem with only looking with natural eyes, as we all do. Natural eyes. Deny God the glory he alone is due. Deny God the glory he alone is due. God is the creator. Not you, not me. And as the Apostle Paul said in the city of Athens, so also I need to say in the city of Raleigh, North Carolina, I see that you're religious in many ways. I see the time and energy You've put into building these coliseums and stadiums, these temples to sports. I see the weight you give to academic institutions and your respect for academic endeavors. But I need to tell you that the God who stands above all of these things doesn't live in temples made by human hands, He doesn't need anyone or anything. And from one man, he created everyone so that we might possibly reach out and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. And though we were all created by him to give him glory, to honor him, to give him thanks, we haven't. I haven't, you haven't. And in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. All creation is aimed at God's glory, at magnifying his glory, and all of creation 
is aimed at the Lord of creation, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who can say to the waves, peace, be still. And God has proven that He is the one who will judge all creation, you, me, everyone, because He raised Him from the dead, defying every possible naturalistic explanation. And it is to Him and to Him alone that I must give account and that you must give account. Are you ready? Well, in Athens, they said, resurrection of the dead. No, 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 no. That's not possible, Paul. That's not possible. This is kind of interesting. Come back another day. We'll hear you again. But this is not possible. It's not reasonable, okay? We're smart people, okay? We're free thinkers. Paul, you can do better than this. You're smart too, right? But some believed. Some believed. Some repented of their sins, put their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. All because of God's grace. Because their eyes were opened to see by faith. Only grace-opened eyes see their need to be recreated. And right now, whoever you are, This is your greatest need. To have the same power that said, let there be light. And there was light. Speak into the darkness of your heart. To shine the light of God's glory into your heart. To change you from the inside out. So that we can cry out with David in Psalm 51. Oh God, create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Same word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in the new creation, we need Him to bring life, to create in you a pure heart that honors Him that is acceptable to Him, not on the basis of anything we've done, but on the basis of Jesus Christ and what He has done in our place. Create in me a pure heart. And when you can pray that and you have received this new heart, then you know it's true. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, The old has passed away. The new has come. Is the new creation evident in you today? Do you have this new heart? Or are you still looking around with natural eyes? Take a good look. Take a really good look at God's world. At His works. Take a good look at His Word. Take a good look at the condition of your heart. And see if your conscience does not tell you if your conscience does not convict you that you have not honored Him, you have not worshipped Him as you should, if you need His sovereign, free power to intervene, to change you, to save you, He can do it. And the same power that brought everything into existence 
visible and invisible, can be present in your heart. May it be so. May this be the day of salvation. May you share in the new creation through Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we confess that naturally we are so blind. We're so hard of heart. We're so dull in our understanding. For you and, and, and what you have done is, is plain. It's visible. It's clear. So I pray, Father, by the work of your Holy Spirit, that we would be reborn that we would repent of our failures to worship you, to honor you as we should, that we would put our trust in Christ and in Christ alone, that we would live for him, that we would honor him and glorify him until that great and final day when he returns in glory, when this present world, this present fallen world, fallen by our own sinfulness, is swept away and burned up, and there is a new heaven and a new earth. Lord, we long for that day. We long for that day. And until then, Lord, create in us a pure heart, a heart that patiently waits for you, that is humble. Lord, rid us of all pride. Fill us with the abiding presence of your Holy Spirit. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.